Yes, we're continuing in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, we could read that together. We're looking at the first 17 verses of Luke, chapter 9. Verse 1, when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal those who were ill. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with them, and they withdrew to, by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, about 5,000 men who were there. But he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. So far in Luke, we've been um, seeing quite a lot about what Jesus has been doing. We're learning a lot about Jesus. And it's good that we refresh ourselves as to who Jesus is and the importance of the, the person of Jesus. And we've learnt a lot of his teaching, how he called his disciples, how he healed people, how he forgave people their sins. All this has been taking place and we've learnt about the authority that Jesus had and his power. And now we come to chapter 9 and something slightly different happens because he, he gets, well he calls them the 12, Luke. He gets the 12 together. They're the 12 disciples. But, of course, there were more than 12 disciples. There were many disciples who followed Jesus. But there were 12 special ones that he had chosen. We read earlier in Luke how he had chosen these 12. So he's referred to the 12 here. And he gets them to sit down. And he wants to talk to them about something he wants them to do. And this is a bit of a procedure from, uh, uh, sorry, uh, uh, what's the word? Departure, the word, uh, from what he's been doing up to now. Up to now, it's been very much the ministry of Jesus. But now he's saying to them that he wants them to go out in twos into the surrounding countryside. And he wants them to do two things. He wants them to proclaim the kingdom of God and also to heal those who are sick. So that's quite a dramatic thing to do, 
to ask these people to do that, who were basically people who had been called from the different jobs and they were following Jesus and listening to him. But now he wanted to send them out. And he wanted to send them out with a message, which was the same message that he's been speaking all this time while he was here. If you go back in Luke, we read of a description of what the kingdom of God will be like. And it's really turning the world upside down. When Jesus came, he turned things upside down. And we read that um, in chapter 6, that it says, Blessed are those who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you. You see, the, the, the message is that it's actually a kingdom for those who are poor and needy and weak. And that's very much opposite to what we see in the world around us, isn't it? The emphasis on having wealth is being strong, it's having confidence, and God is coming and sending Jesus into the world and preaching of a kingdom which is going to be the, the total opposite. And when he preached that sermon both on the mountain and in the plain, he talks there about how we, these people should be, behave, how we should be humble, how we should be learning and doing. We had a session, didn't we, about it's not about just hearing what God says, it's about doing it, how important it is to do, because he was being faced with a lot of hypocrites who were listening to what was being said and then doing the total opposite. So a great emphasis on doing what we hear and on loving our neighbour, and not just our neighbour, but loving our enemies. Again, this is turning things upside down, isn't it? You know, it was quite natural to hate our enemies. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, that was being taught. Don't worry about, you know, if, if someone wronged you, get your own back. But now he's teaching, no, I want you to love your enemies. I don't want you to judge people. And this was the, the, the teaching that Jesus has been carrying out throughout this first part of Luke's Gospel that we read about. And now he comes to chapter 9 and he's saying to the disciples, I want you to take the same message out and share it with the people in the towns and villages around. He's doing the same for us today. We'll come on to that in a minute. But he's saying to us today, I want you to take a message out to the people round about. And a bit like the disciples, I think we would probably say, well, who are we to do what you're asking us to do? But he doesn't leave them alone. He actually says to them, gives them some instructions. And he says in some verse, he told them in verse 3, he says, he told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Take nothing with you. Now, I think back to, to Gideon. Remember when Gideon was asked to, to fight the Midianites? And he reduced his army and constantly reduced his army. And when he got down to 300, he's thinking, well, this is okay. And then God says, I'm not going to give any weapons to fight with. I want you to fight with a jar and a, a, a torch, right, and a trumpet. And it's a similar principle that basically Jesus is saying, I don't want you to rely on yourself. I don't want you to go out and do these things in your own strength. Because that's the natural thing to do, isn't it? To, to go out and do the things the way that we would want to do them. He said, I want you to take nothing with you, so you're not depending on yourself, but you're going to depend on me. And that's what Gideon had to do. He had to depend on God. And these disciples had to depend on Jesus. And that's the first thing that we learn, is that they had to have total 
dependence that God would provide. That is not easy for us. In our practical day-to-day living, it's easy to read those words, but then on the Monday morning wake up and say, well, I'll just carry on doing things the way I do things. I'll go to work, I'll earn some money, I'll pay the mortgage, and all these things I'll take care of myself. Right? And so where does God's provision come in? Even when I get to retirement, and that's heading close for me, we get to the point where we make our pension provision. I used to spend my life telling people to make pension provision so that when as Christians we get older, we still don't need to rely on God because we've made this pension provision. It's all there. And life is, is set up in such a way that it's actually quite difficult to rely on God and understand that he provides for us. And sometimes we just strip away all the things that we trust in. And just as the disciples take nothing with us, as we go into situations, having that total dependence on God. And that is what he's teaching them here. That they should, that God will supply all their need. They were going to have to trust him. They were going to have to take risks. It wasn't going to be easy. And they were going to look to the people that they went to to provide for them. It says, of whatever house you enter, stay there until you have you leave that town. So the people that they stayed with would provide for them. God would provide through those people. And very often, God provides for us through one another. I've said this before, that I think the biggest thing in our Christian life is the way that God uses us as individuals to care for one another. He has placed his Holy Spirit in us and we should be sharing that love and compassion with each other. So Jesus tells them, don't rely on yourselves. And later on in Luke chapter 2, when we come to it, he actually says to them again, ask the questions, you know, when I said to you, don't take anything with you, did you lack anything? And the answer came from the disciples, no, we didn't. So they're looking back at that point and saying, well, when I went through that experience, it was, going to, it was difficult to do that. It was difficult to trust Jesus, but we trusted him. And you know what? He didn't let me down. He provided all that we needed. In Philippians it says, my God will supply every need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God will provide for us. Let's remember that. But also, he sends them out and it says, I'm giving you the power and authority to go out to these people. Because I want you to heal them and I want you to preach the kingdom of God to them. But you can't do that in your own strength. You need to have the authority of God to speak those words and the power of God to heal them. Now, it I don't believe today we have healing in the same way. I think God is absolutely capable of healing anybody. But I don't believe this is a time when he has said to us, he's sending us out to heal people. We see it happening in many situations. A very good friend of mine, well, a friend of mine, um, he's a Christian, and he was into healing. He used to go around the country preaching and healing people. 
he's a little bit older than me, and now he suffers from everything. He has a bad back, he's got a heart, bad heart, he's got everything. And I, I find that difficult. Here's a man who's healing everybody in the country, and yet he's got all these problems. So I have a dif difficulty with it, and I believe it's not for today. But at this time, it was there, and people were healed as an evidence that it was from God. That's why it was being done. It was an evidence that what they were speaking was from God, and they were proving it by the fact that they could heal. But also the thing that they needed to understand was the message they were taking required repentance and faith. It talks about shaking off the dust from their feet. When they were taking this message, many people would receive it and many people would reject it. It's no different for us today, is it? And I think one of the big challenges for us when we preach the gospel, as we do every week, is to remain faithful to that, knowing that it is in God's hands. And when we preach the gospel, the easy part of the gospel, and I'm not just talking about preaching, I'm talking about sharing it, because I think it's as important, if not more important, to share this on a one-to-one -one basis with people in our family and our friends. As we share that gospel, talking about the love of God and the grace of God, how we don't deserve this, and he loves us unconditionally, is actually the easy part of it, because we're talking about good news. The hard part is that if they don't believe it, if they're rejected, they have to stand before the Lord Jesus in judgment. And that is difficult, because no one wants to hear that. But I believe it's as important as it is to explain the love of God. The love of God is essential that we talk about that because that is what attracts people to God. But in doing so, we need also to point out, if you reject this or if you ignore it, if you turn away from God or do nothing about it, then you will be standing before God in judgment. In John chapter 3, um, after it talks about the for God's of the world, it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God. That's, that's a fact. So when we're preaching the gospel, when we're sharing the gospel, we're actually creating a situation where they are open to rejecting it, as well as accepting it. And if they reject it, then they will stand to be condemned. And that's a, a serious message that we're taking out. But we also have to understand that it's only the power of God that can save. Right? We cannot save people. And that's why we need to be encouraged to continue to share the gospel message, to share it with people week by week and day by day, but to trust in God as the one who can take that, those words, sow that seed, and the Holy Spirit in their lives will convict and they will be saved. It says in Romans 10, 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We should be encouraged, each one of us, just as the disciples were, to go out, to take that message of salvation, to share it, but to know that we do it in the 
strength of God, in the power of God, and knowing that God alone can save. We are the messengers who take that message out. So God will provide for his disciples and for us. We are saved by God's power and authority, and he requires a, <coughs> a response. <coughs> Why does... Oh, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> a frog in my throat. Why didn't Jesus do this himself? Why, didn't he, why did he send the disciples out? Why didn't he just go around the country? Because he knew he had the authority, knew he had the power, knew he had the ability to heal and to forgive sins. Why didn't he do it himself? I think there's possibly two things to think about here. One is he knew he wasn't going to be here much longer. And these people would have to take that message out at some point when he went. But also... It's a wonderful fact that God has chosen sinners like you and me to be entrusted with the gospel of salvation. He has chosen us to take that precious message out to those around us. In the Bible, it's full of people who God has used that felt unworthy I mean, Moses, who felt he couldn't even speak to people, was used to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Gideon of mentioned, who felt that he was the least of the least and that he was chosen to lead. David, who was an adulterer and a, a murderer, was chosen by God to be, be used as a, to write those psalms and to lead his people. Uh, fishermen uh, amongst the disciples who were smelly and grubby, they were chosen to lead, uh, to take this message out. And you and me sit in that category we would examine ourselves and say I am not worthy I cannot be used for this work and God has said I have chosen you I have chosen you I have called you, I have taught you and now what I'm doing is I'm sending you out I'm sending you out amongst difficult situations and I want to share what I've given to you the salvation that you have as a broken sinner so you can take it round those people who are still broken and still in their sin and to share that with them. There's a couple of verses about Herod in the middle of the section of verses 7 to 9 where Herod is confused by what is going on because he doesn't know whether it's John the Baptist come back from the dead, is it Elijah? He's totally confused but he's heard all these rumours about this person going around healing and saving people. Um, and he says at the end there that he tried to see him. He didn't see him at this point. He did later on before Jesus went to the cross, and that's a different story. But then we move on to the, the account of the, Jesus feeding the 5,000 from verse 10 onwards. And he describes them now as apostles. It's quite interesting. Luke uses the word apostles. It's almost like there's been a bit of promotion here from just the 12 to apostles, they were called, authorised, chosen ones to take God's word. So he, he says, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Now I suspect, we don't know how long they were away for, it was days or weeks, but I suspect they were tired, but they were also full of excitement. In a very small way, you know when we meet at the, the hall here and we go and take some leaflets around 
into Gateshead or around the houses here. Then we meet again afterwards. There's that excitement as we share some of the stories that we've um, experienced in that short time, maybe an hour. So if you, t if you take that and multiply it up, and imagine how the disciples felt when they'd been going out and they'd been healing people, sharing the message of the kingdom, and they would have experienced different reactions. And now they're coming back together to be with Jesus. But they're probably jiggered, right? They're tired. And Jesus would recognize that. And he says he took them away to a quiet place because he knew that they needed to rest. He wanted to hear what had happened. But it is important, isn't it, at times, to rest. When we're work busy working for the Lord, we, we do it in his strength, but we are all human, we are physical, and there are times we need to rest and take time aside. When we perhaps listen to other people teaching us, whether we just spend time on our own, whether we spend time in prayer, whether we're just resting, it's important that we have rest. But the, although they went uh, to this quiet place, the, the crowd wouldn't let go. There's a big crowd following Jesus because they'd heard him speak, they'd seen him perform these miracles, and they wanted more of that. They wanted more people to be healed. There were still many sick amongst them. So they were gathering around. Now Jesus, he comes across here as so loving and so compassionate because he also is tired, and yet his heart goes out to those people. He is a heart for the lost. And it says that he spent time with them and he healed those who needed healing and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So although he was tired, he was able to find time to do that and to talk to them and heal them. But the disciples, it's interesting, isn't it? They, they'd had this experience of going out and had the authority and power of Jesus to go out and heal people and to share the message. They come back and they experience firsthand a situation where people want to be healed and they say to Jesus, send them away. Just get rid of them. We're, we're all tired. We've all done it. I I'm not critical of the disciples at all because I see the disciples and I see some of myself in there. I can understand how they would feel. But they were very different to how Jesus felt. They said, just get rid of them. Let's have a bit of peace for a while. And Jesus says, no. And then it came to the point where they needed to be fed because they'd been there all day, not, not eaten. And it's interesting, Jesus says to the disciples, what are you going to do? He, put the, he puts it back on them. What are you going to do about this? You've experienced my power and miracles of the last few days or weeks. Here's a situation on your doorstep. What are you going to do about it? And it's interesting, they were being called the twelve, then they were called the apostles, now they're called the disciples. It's almost as if you're going to have to learn some more. You're students, you haven't learned it all yet. You've doing a lot of good things, but don't forget that we're always learning. There's more to learn. And he says that he calls them disciples, Luke refers to them as disciples, with more to learn. And he says, you, you know, I'm going to feed these people. That's what we're going to do. And I think the disciples would learn so much from this experience. 
they've already learned so much, but they've done so much as they see the way Jesus compassionately cared for those people. They realized that he was a God of provision. And I'm sure they would look back in later days and think back to those times when Jesus was with them and how he loved people and cared for them. And how he took the bread and the fish and there were 5,000 plus, because obviously women and children, so about 10, 15,000 people there. And they were fed. And there's a little lesson for us in that. You know, that little bit of food that was available, all of it was given so that Jesus could use it to feed the 5,000. And God asks us to give all that we have he doesn't ask you to give us more than we have. He doesn't say, give us something which we haven't got. He's not stretching us beyond our means. He's saying, all that you have, whatever that might be, how little or how much it might be, give it to me. Give it over to me. And this links, doesn't it, with this concept of doing things our own strength or trusting in God. And when we hand over what we have to God, we are saying, I'm trusting you to use that in my life. There's often a question about tithing. Do I give, should I give 10% of what I have to the Lord? The New Testament doesn't teach about tithing. It teaches about giving all that we have. We have nothing apart from what the Lord Jesus has given us. So he's saying, all that you have, give it over to me. Now again, I'm going to say in a practical way, that's not easy. Because we get into the routine of day to day, just doing what we do. But we need to approach each day in that prayerful manner of saying, what I have, the food I have, the clothes I have, the house I have, the job I have, I'm giving it over to you, Lord, and I'm asking you to use it. And he can take those things just as he took that bread and fish, and he can multiply it, he can use it in amazing ways if we trust him, who is a God of provision. These um, disciples, I think, would learn a lot. And I hope that we can learn just something from these verses because there's so much in there. And it's of a very practical nature, but it does require us to step back from our daily lives and start to think about how God, how much God has done for us. And you're at the end of it, at the very end of this passage, it tells us gathered in the remains of the food. They'd only had five loaves and two fish. There were 10, 15,000 people there. There wouldn't be much left, would there? Well, there was. There was enough to fill 12 baskets, one for each disciple. I think that's a lovely picture. I mean, you can take whatever you want to from that and make it into your own sermon. But I just think it's a lovely picture of these disciples who have gone through so much and they're learning so much each day and they're looking to Jesus and at the end of the day they're still tired because they've had to help him feed the 5,000 at the end of the day he gives them the provision all that they need is basket of food so he will not let us down if we trust in him he will provide may we do so for his namesake let's pray dear God and Father we Thank you that we're able to spend time this morning thinking about our Lord Jesus. We thank you for our Lord Jesus who came into this world and for his sacrifice on the cross. We can thank you for so much that
you have done for us, that you love us as we are. And we thank you that we can put our trust in you and help us each day as we look forward into this week. Help us each day to, just as the disciples did, put our trust in you, taking nothing with us, knowing that you'll provide. Help us to apply that in a practical way to understand what it means so it will help us to put our trust more and more in the Lord Jesus. We commit this week ahead to you. We do pray that you'd help us to be a witness for you, to share the gospel uh, that we have received ourselves with those that we come across. And we pray for souls who are unsaved that we know that you would work in their lives and your Holy Spirit would convict them this week, we pray. We pray for our time this afternoon, that you'd bless that time of discussion and lunch and fellowship. We thank you for all the good things that come from you and you give praise and thanks in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.